You're listening to the Religion and Fiction Podcast. A podcast for people interested in the intersection of the sacred and story that offers insight, inspiration, and a bit of entertainment for the journey. I'm your host, Jeremy Bauma, a former pastor and theologian who writes stories under J.A. Bauma that thrill and entertain as much as inform and inspire. Today I wanted to talk about why I made the professional switcheroo from writing Bible studies and devotionals to telling stories and writing multi-genre fiction. It's a great story. Thanks for listening, and welcome to the journey. Hey, religious fiction readers. Welcome to episode six of the Religion and Fiction podcast. Thanks so much for listening. And this week, we are going to go in a little bit of a different direction than we have the past few. If you've been listening along, we were engaging C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Well, today, I thought that I would give a little bit of an intro into my own story and some of the inspiration behind why I wanted to launch this newsletter and podcast with an emphasis on religion and fiction. Now, one of the things I want to clarify at the front end is when I speak of this newsletter and podcast as a religion and fiction newsletter and podcast, I'm not specifically speaking about religious fiction, even though I write primarily religious fiction. I'm actually taking a broader view of the fiction we read and desiring to tease out the religious and spiritual elements to our favorite authors and stories. Everything from George R.R. Martin to Stephen King and J.K. Rawlings to Margaret Atwood. Because at the heart of what they are writing, whether consciously or not, are the questions that we're all wrestling with, right? Where did we come from? Why are we so messed up? Why am I so messed up? What is the fix to our collective messed upness? And where is this whole human thing headed? These are basic worldview questions that get at the creation, rebellion, rescue, and recreation of our universe and our humanity. Now, don't worry, I will get to these questions and these stories in future episodes, taking a glance at my own work as well as many of our favorite novels and stories and authors. Maybe even having some guests on the podcast to speak to their own wrestling with these questions and the religious and spiritual elements that they seek to weave in their own stories. Now, before we get to my own inspiration for launching this podcast and even my own vocation as a full-time author, and storyteller, I thought that I would begin with a bit of a deep dive into my own story, starting with my upbringing in Christianity. Now, I am from West Michigan, the Grand Rapids area, and there are pretty much more churches than gas stations in every one of our cities. Uh, We're sort of a little flap of the Bible Belt up here in the Midwest with a whole lot of mostly Protestant churches. And I grew up in one of those, an evangelical, conservative, fundamentalist church. I went to a Baptist college after graduating from high school. And from there, 
found my way into Washington, D.C., where I first worked for a member of Congress and then for a ministry leading Bible studies, engaging congressional staffers with spiritual encouragement, engaging their questions about God and the Bible and life, while also meeting with members of Congress for prayer. It was in that context of ministry as a young adult that I began to wrestle with a whole lot of questions for myself with regards to issues of faith. Where we came from, why things are so messed up, uh, what is the fix, what does the gospel even mean, and how does it apply to our lives now, why is it significant to life before death as much as life after death? These are the same questions that my friends in ministry were asking, and I became engaged in a conversation surrounding this in early 2000s that led me eventually to go to seminary, where I studied to be a pastor and gained two advanced degrees, one in divinity and another in theology, historical theology. From there, I ended up pastoring a church for a little while and then jumped headlong into a full-time professional career, writing Bible studies, writing devotionals, and then more recently, writing religious fiction. Thrillers, action-adventure, sci-fi, supernatural mysteries and suspense, as well as some spiritual coming-of-age stories to help other people wrestle with the same kinds of questions that I did when I was going through sort of a crisis of faith myself. So that's sort of the overview of a bit of my own journey and spiritual background that led me into this current space sitting at the intersection of the sacred and story. It's funny, though, because I never imagined myself in a million years that I would be a storyteller writing fiction. I'd always seen myself as uh, a pastor growing up, a little boy, had dreams of becoming a missionary overseas. And while my friends had big ambitions to become a star basketball player or a firefighter, police officer, I wanted to be a pastor. <laughs> and uh, then eventually in college, wanted to stand on the front lines of the culture wars, writing impassioned articles, making my mark on Congress, which is why I moved to D.C., to win America for Christ, right? Now, though, I am seeking to help people navigate their own stories and their own journeys while being entertained and inspired and gaining a little insight along the way through stories. And I'll tell you what, there is one person that I can credit the most with the inspiration to pivoting my own vocational interest into storytelling. And that is none other than Dan Brown. Yeah, you heard that right. The author of The Da Vinci Code, the blockbuster action-adventure thriller that set the world on fire and set the church's hair on fire back uh, around 2003. His story was hugely inspirational for my own vocational shift, but for reasons that you might not expect. All right, if you have any interest whatsoever in the intersection of the sacred and story, in exploring these deeper religious questions in your fiction, then you've probably read The Da Vinci Code, right? I mean, the book basically sparked this whole resurgence in conspiracy thrillers. 
action adventures, especially with a religious conspiracy underpinning, which I can be appreciative of as a religious conspiracy thriller author myself. So thank you, Dan Brown, for giving me a platform by sparking interest in these kinds of stories. And I actually have my copy from 2003 still uh, up in my bookshelf in my living room. And let me read a little bit from the back ad that sparked interest in this conspiracy thriller. It reads, a mind-bending code hidden in the works of Leonardo da Vinci. A desperate race through the cathedrals and castles of Europe. An astonishing truth concealed for centuries. Unveiled at last. Ooh, yeah. And, of course, that astonishing truth was that Jesus really was only a man who fathered a bloodline with Mary. Sorry if I just ruined the the book for you if you haven't actually read it, but that was basically the gist of the book. And, of course, the church and the shadowy uh, orders hidden away, suppressed by the major dominant voices within the church, had tried to conceal this conspiracy throughout the ages until it was about to be unveiled and disclosed for all the world to see and hear. Pretty standard fare for this kind of uh, religious conspiracy thriller, right, where you have a sort of minority sect within the majority church who has a secret, and you have the major forces of the church trying to suppress that voice and to suppress that true secret before it gets out into the world. Since then, you've had other people write very similar kinds of stories. Steve Barry wrote something about the Templars and the real secret of Jesus. But back to 2003, this created a massive controversy, uh, probably because Ron Howard joined a few years later to create uh, a f- movie film based on the book itself. And so there was a lot of buzz around the book and the the future movie starring Tom Hanks, as well as the major premise that what we've known about Jesus has been totally false. Uh, What the church has told us about Jesus has been totally false and bunk. And uh, so obviously you had quite the reaction from the church itself. The Roman Catholic Church put out a full stop press to try and debunk all of the claims within the Da Vinci Code. Uh, Many evangelical churches, Protestant churches, had Bible studies and sermon series explaining why what Dan Brown was saying in his book through the fictional storytelling was completely not only biblically false, but historically inaccurate. I myself, when I read the book, I remember thinking, where are the footnotes to this thing? Because there were so many claims made about the Gospels and about Jesus and about the early decades and centuries of the church that made it seem like it was much more of a nonfiction book that should have been citing sources and telling me where you got this information from than a novel telling an alternative story to the one that the church was telling. And that, for me, was what was fascinating about this uh, reaction to the book. Not so much the church's reaction, which uh, was understandable, although in some ways it was a bit overkill. No, for me, what fascinated me was regular people's reaction to the book. People off the street, people walking into the bookstores, uh, buying the book and reading the book. And I remember thinking during this time, because again, if you remember from my own story, I was in ministry meeting with people 
who are my age who had similar questions about the nature of faith and life and everything in between. And so I was looking at the way the average person was reacting to this story. And I remember thinking to myself, why are there so many people more interested in the story that Dan Brown is telling about the person of Jesus and the story of Jesus than the one that the church itself is telling? And even more than that, it seemed like people were more attracted to the story that Dan Brown was telling, which, you know, it was absolutely wrapped up in the garb of conspiracy and shadowy figures and dominant voices suppressing the minority voices who were, you know, supposedly holding the true secret to the person of Jesus and Christianity. So, you know, it made sense. And of course, he had the car chases and the gunfights and uh, the romantic interest between Robert Langdon and his female sidekick. Uh, So it was all just packaged and dressed up in the perfect, well-executed novel. But I tell you what, I took away an important lesson in that episode in this clash of stories, the culture's story and the church's story about Jesus. And what I took away was just that, the importance of story. And whether you like it or not, that is the truth of the matter, especially when it comes to our current era of culture. No clearer do we see the truth of that principle, the the principle of the best story wins, than in these current conversations about gender and sexuality? And there is an episode from my childhood that I recall very distinctly that uh, offers some sound wisdom when it comes to the power of story and its ability to shape our current conversations as well as people's beliefs. Now, I know diving into these politically charged issues like gender and sexuality is Danger Will Robinson, but the principle that I want to address from something my pastor said that stuck with me from childhood is, I think, a a very important principle, again, regarding the importance of story and why telling the best story and the most compelling and most truthful story is super crucial during these important times. And the interesting insight that my pastor made in his comment dealt with, of all things, the Ellen DeGeneres show. Not the talk show, but the sitcom starring Ellen Morgan in the mid to late 90s. And if you remember that show, one of the most uh, important cultural flashpoints was uh, 97 when Ellen, the star, came out in Ellen, her character. And it was quite a milestone, you could say, in a whole lot of ways. Uh, But the comment that my pastor made during a sermon around that time related to America's growing acceptance of gay relationships and later down the road, which would not happen for another almost 20 years, gay marriage. uh, What he said was, is that America accepted gay people, but in his words, the the gay lifestyle uh, in the context of my church in the mid-90s, was that when America laughed was when America accepted. And I thought that there was a lot of truth in what he was saying, uh, because, you know, the show, along with a few others in that time frame, particularly Will and Grace, which also featured very funny, comical gay characters who were presented in these very comical ways. Situational comedies is where America began to encounter gay characters. 
as well as gay people, because for a lot of viewers of these kinds of shows, they didn't know people from this community, or at least they didn't think they did. That led then into more dramatic presentations of gay stories and gay relationships, and all along the way leading to 2015, when the Supreme Court legalized same-sex relationships in same-sex marriage. Now, the point of this sort of travelogue through cultural history is to show how story, particularly at the front end, making people laugh and bypassing people's logical side of the brain, in many ways led to culture becoming more accepting and also comfortable with these kinds of relationships and with this community of people who for a long time had been relegated to the butt of jokes and slurs and anything else uh, that had sort of kept them at arm's length from, some would say, fully engaging in uh, the American liberal democratic process. It wasn't arguments or facts necessarily that really drove and moved the cultural needle to this sort of inclusion, but instead it was story. And I think that my pastor was super insightful to recognize that when America laughed, America accepted. And that was in large ways because of the power of story. It was also the reason behind my own professional shift into storytelling, because at the end of the day, the one with the best story wins. And I believe that as a follower of Jesus Christ, the story that the Bible tells from creation, through our rebellion, through our rescue in Jesus Christ, and our ultimate recreation in his coming again at the end of the age to put this broken, busted world back together again, that's the best story on the planet. And I want to do everything that I can to explain that story, to tell that story in thrilling, compelling, entertaining ways that offer a bit of insight as well as inspiration for the journey. Facts and arguments certainly have their place, and I have written those kinds of books, but it's stories that change the world as well as win the world. Ellen DeGeneres certainly understood that as well as Dan Brown, and I am super thankful that a whole lot of other Christian storytellers recognize the value of story and its importance in our cultural landscape as well as this cultural moment. And my hope, my prayer, my desire, uh, not just as a professional storyteller and a professional writer, but as a follower of Jesus Christ who is passionate about his story of forgiveness and salvation, uh, I want to take all that and tell the best stories that I can. And that's my pledge to you as listeners and as interested readers who are interested in the intersection of the sacred and story, to read good religious fiction that tells compelling stories, giving you a thrilling entertainment and a bit of an escape while offering some insight and inspiration for the journey. Thanks so much for listening to the Religion and Fiction podcast and for listening to some of my own story. Not only my background, but the why behind my storytelling. Speaking of which, we are going to engage one of those stories with round two of the Religion and Fiction book club from my Reimagined Faith coming-of-age series. More on that next week. 
Until then, happy reading.